Good morning again. Good to see you. My name is Drew. Uh, if you just hopped on, um, I'm the pastor here at, at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. Um, and this week we started, as you saw in the video uh, from my wife, Kelly, um, we started, uh, well, actually last week, we started decorating. It's just that time of year we want to feel the warmth and excitement of Christmas. I love it. I would start earlier, I think. I used to be anti-Christmas before Thanksgiving, and now I'm, I don't know, all Christmas all the time? I don't know. Whatever. Um, but th- because of that, we started watching some Christmas movies, and I have to say, we watched the Santa Claus. Um, any, I don't know if that's anyone's favorites out there, um, but Santa is a little judgy, a lot judgy. When you watch Christmas movies with Santa, kids are scared of him. I mean, they love him, right? They want to run up to him. But then they're kind of scared because he often, if you've seen the Santa Claus or the Santa Claus 2, which we may have also watched this week, he <laughs> they say what they want. And then he says, sounds good. You better be good. You better keep being good if you want that stuff. It's kind of a... While he's reading the lists of who's naughty or nice, definitely. Well, it's weird. I was watching and thinking, I don't know if I ever felt this way about it. Maybe it's because this is what we're looking at this week. Um, but definitely, or maybe we're in a uh, culture that even is like has higher sensitivity to this, uh, judging this idea that people uh, look at other people and tell them maybe what they're doing wrong. Um, it's We're in a, like a you-do-you kind of culture, so... You say, hey, you do you, man. You're you're cool with whatever, right? Which is kind of very anti-Santa, right? Because uh, you do you and you might be on the naughty list and then you get coal, right? Um, and it's, that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. We are in a place where in a culture that's very individualistic. And so because of that, it's like everyone should just do what they do and you, you aren't allowed to to kind of enter in and, and correct, which – Jesus is going to actually talk about, he actually is very specific about this. In fact, I remember a moment in my life when I think about this, um, being in my brother's room. We were probably in high school and my brother had this poster on his wall. I don't know if anyone else had this poster. It's a pretty classic Tupac poster. Um, but he, here's, here's it ready for this. I've been waiting years to be able to use a Tupac poster uh, in a sermon. Finally get to do it. This is what ha- I'm in his room. We're talking, and I'm actually trying to, as a brother, say, I don't remember even what it was about. Hey, man, you maybe shouldn't do that or reconsider this. And this is what my brother does. He gives me a look like, who do you think you are? And then he turns and points to the Tupac poster and just goes, yeah, you can leave my room now. That's it. He just points to the only God can judge me Tupac poster. I'm assuming that's what he was referring to. Hey, Drew, only God can judge me. You can get out of my room. I will. I never forget that because I see that poster. It's a very famous poster. I see it all the time. Like if you're in a store that sells posters or you might see it. I see in the background in movies. And I think every time of that moment when my brother was like, hey, only God can judge me. Listen to Tupac. You know what? This might be one of the only times I really do say this, but I think... Tupac and Jesus actually agree on this. And I'm excited 
to be able to share that. We're in a moment in time, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was standing, giving a sermon, teaching people, a crowd of people, and um, he's teaching them about what it looks like to be citizens of heaven, what it looks like to be in the family of God, what the kingdom of God looks like. And he actually encourages people to not judge. But he also is going to explain how the gospel changes what that means and what we what we should be looking to do for people. And he and he doesn't spoiler right. He doesn't just say, "Hey, just don't ever talk to anyone about anything. Just let's be happy." He he has an interesting thing he's going to share with us. So we're going to go to that moment. This is a moment from a sermon of Jesus of, of Jesus Christ who who shares and teaches in front of his people. And we get a moment to actually get to read that, what that was like. So imagine yourself in the crowd, standing with these people as Jesus teaches us. And he gets towards, uh, through the middle of this sermon, kind of into the end, he's talking about what it looks like to interact with one another, what the community and the family of God look like together. Um, And he does this. um, Hold on here. I got to find the text for us. I don't see it. Hold on, friends. Let me see if I can find this for us. He's going to share with us. Here we go. I lost it, but I found it. There it is. Oh, you just got a little peek into the inner workings here. We're going to look at Matthew 7. I just opened my Bible. I found it. There it is. Um, And so I encourage you to hop on uh, in your Bible or maybe on your app. We're in Matthew 7. We're just going to look at these six verses today. And there's that moment. Thanks for bearing with me of, of uh, Jesus uh, talking. And here's what Jesus says. We're going to read the whole thing first and then just walk through it together. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. A very famous verse used a lot by people who are not necessarily even Christians. This verse is very well known. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their foot and turn and tear you to pieces. Actually, actually, interesting. What an interesting uh, passage. Different illustrations, different uh, uh, kind of uh, imagery that Jesus uses here. We're going to start, though, right in the beginning. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. This is a really common, as I said, uh, verse to use often that that it's often like quoted in the King James, you know, ye to you th- thou shalt not judge. Um and I think it, I, understandably, people feel judged, right? They feel uh, that there's criticism, or people are uh, are like examining their heart and and sharing their motives. Um, w- what does this actually mean? I think it means what Jesus is saying: we are not called to judge, even though I think often if someone asks someone, "Hey, what do you think of Christians?" People might say judgy or they're judgmental or they're going to come and judge me, right? They're going to, they're going to kind of bring down a verdict at me. This, this word means to bring a verdict, right? A kind of 
legal term is going to make a decision. And this decision is about motives of someone's heart. So Jesus is saying we don't get to stand over people deciding their motives. This is talking about a heart condition. And we know, as Tupac says, and we, we are aware as we read through Scripture, only one person actually knows the motive of our heart. Only one person can change hearts, can examine hearts, and that's God. And we even know that God will come and judge. Jesus isn't saying no one will ever judge anyone. You do you. He's saying there is someone who will judge in, in the end, and actually it's Jesus. And he says, let's let the one who's supposed to judge, judge. Let's let the one who is righteous and can judge the condition of a person's heart judge. Because God will one day judge. And he won't judge like Santa. He's not going to pull out a list of who's naughty and nice, right? There's really just a list of who's naughty, who's been a sinner, who's turned from God and been disobedient. He, he's going to look not to our good deeds our good works or weigh our goods and bads. He's not looking to see how long we followed Jesus or how what a great leader we've been in Jesus' church. He's not going to see how many rules that we followed. He's only going to judge us on one person. There's only one name on the nice list, right? There's only one person he's going to judge us on, and that's Jesus because he's the only perfect person. And if he sees us clothed in Jesus... If we have put our faith in Christ, the perfect, sinless, righteous one, then we too are perfect, sinless, and righteous. This is really good news to be judged. It might, depending on your own experience, your own uh, giftedness and personality, you might hear God's going to judge us one day and and go, oh, that's how I, I get a little, I have a little bit of that. Oh, come on. God's loving and caring. He, he is. And he loves us so much, he sent Christ to die and rise and ascend to heaven and be king of kings and bring us with him. And so we, he loves us enough that he gives us this gift to say, yeah, I want to hold on. I want to put the Jesus jacket on. I want to wear Jesus and be clothed in him. So when I stand before the judge, the judge will say, you are good and right. And you are my son and daughter. So Jesus is saying, let's leave the judging to God, the judge, right? This is where I'm excited to um, share this week for us in our house. Um, we had a cool milestone. Six years ago, uh, we became a forever family. It's our family birthday, we call it, was on Friday. Um, here's a picture of us uh, with the family birthday. Those little uh, ladies, holy cow, they're short in that picture. Um, and with us, if you notice, we don't have a fifth uh, member of our family uh, who wears ro- judges robes. That's the judge in our at our hearing, and and we got to go to a court in front of a judge because it is his job to say you are legally and officially family together forever. Um, I didn't get to go and then say, hey, hold on, hold on. I think it's my turn. I'm going to declare us family. It wouldn't be anything. They would laugh, right? Okay, Drew. But he was a ju- he was qualified and had the position of a judge, and so the right person was doing the judging there, and thankfully was right because his word then, his judgment had authority to it and actually made a difference there. 
So we could stand back and say, okay, we're released from that duty. But here's what's really great about this. Jesus says, but there is a place to help one another out, though, in the family of God. And then he gives us this really interesting um, kind of story, illustration, right? This word picture um, in here. Oh, hold on. Sorry, let me go back. I'm skipping stuff. Um, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Ooh, all of a sudden he's saying, you see a speck in a brother's eye. You see a sin or something that's blocking their view, going to harm them. A sin, right? He's talking here about we're looking at, at each other. He sees a speck, but you're paying no attention to the own issue that you have. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there's a plank? The speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. What is happening here? Another, um, if you've been in the church, another pretty classic uh, Bible passage, one that I think has been used for all sorts of different things. And let's get at, what do you think Jesus is talking about here? He's talking about the family of God. He says brother here, which also could just be family. Why do you look at the speck in your family's eyes? So he's talking about how we interact with people within God's family, other believers, other people who follow Jesus. So your brother has a sin, an issue that you see. He's saying, but before you go to him, you need to pull the plank, right? The two by four, the log out of your own eye. What a wild image. What a, a really crazy, exaggerated illustration to get to what Jesus must want us to really understand. Can you picture that? You're standing in front of someone. He's, he's got his vision blocked and you're like trying to help him out by taking the thing out, but you can't even see because there's a log coming out of your eye, right? So you're like blind trying to also help them become unblind. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, I thought, wonder what, wonder what it would look like for me to Google eye surgery. I'm not going to show a picture, I promise. Because the second I Google eye surgery, comma, splinter, <laughs> I never want to see those pictures again. Why did I even think that was a good idea? But something interesting did happen. I, I love these moments. God is going to teach us something and give us an image, even in my, my Googling. I Google... <clears throat> Eye surgery, splinter, get a splinter out, eye surgery, thinking maybe there's something interesting about that. Maybe I'll show a picture just as we're talking about it. No, those are not okay pictures to show, right? Wow. You can look later if you're interested. I encourage you not to. But something did come up. Because I searched for doctors, surgeons, and splinter, an article actually came up, an interview actually with someone <clears throat> came up. This is Dr. Uzma Samandani, uh, she's actually one of the, she was voted one of the top 10 uh, doctors in the Twin Cities. Interesting, right? So I was first interested, huh, she's actually in the Twin Cities. She's actually a doctor um, in Hennepin County. She's actually a surgeon, a neurosurgeon. And she's also a professor uh, of neurosurgery at, at the U. I thought, oh, that's interesting that that came up when I was looking. She's not an eye doctor, but a neurosurgeon. It's because... 
she was interviewed about a surgery she did as one of the examples of her great work uh, of when she took a four-inch wooden splinter out of someone, someone's eye and head. And I thought, oh, fascinating. And, and here's, ready for this? I love how God kind of put this right in front of me. It, it really struck me. I just thought that was fascinating. I thought, I, I want to learn about who this is. They're right in our community. This, the person interviewer asked, hey, how did you get into, how did you get interested in becoming a, a neurosurgeon? She said uh, when she was in med school and residency, she had the opportunity to witness a neurosurgeon. She said, I had never seen anything like it. It was completely, I was completely blown away by how a human could intervene with his or her hands in another person's life and make such a difference. Interesting. She said, I've never seen someone enter into someone else's life. She was sharing about one of the first surgeries on a brain she saw and how much a person could enter another person's life and make such a big difference. She goes on to share that she was a daughter of a physician. And she said it was very powerful watching her dad resuscitate someone using CPR uh, when she was young. She said it made me want to really help people. I was very curious always about injury and recovery, how we could help restore people's functions. So then they ask her questions about this surgery she did where uh, a man came in with a four-inch splinter in his eye into his head. And she said, the first thing you always do as a doctor is think, how can we save this person's life? And, and how can we give quality to their life? That's, that struck me. How could we save a person's life and how can we bring quality to that life? This really got me thinking about this passage. I, it, it really opened the, visually, like I could picture it in a, in a different way. And I think in a fuller way that Jesus is trying to get us to think about. He isn't telling us to be eye surgeons. He isn't telling us to become doctors. Or he's just using this as a picture of what it looks like to be the kingdom of God to each other. He wants us to consider, I think, the motives of our own hearts. That, that we can be quick to move towards family, friends, neighbors, and tell them that there's things in their eye. Tell them what's wrong. Tell them what's blocking their vision, what's wrong with them. Even if we don't, aren't telling them, we're real quick to talk to other family members about the family member and what's in their eye, like the speck, the splinter, right? But Jesus says we have the opportunity to intervene in someone's life and do a little surgery. But he wants us first to check our motivations. Are our motives to bring life and quality of life, which only comes through Jesus, right? Life and life to the fullest, right, from John 10. Or is our motive something else? So I, I want to check myself. I quick kind of brainstormed ways that my motives often for correction or criticism can be quite shady. Here's a few of mine on my list. I don't, maybe you, your list is shorter, but I think often my motives for this are not to necessarily bring life or quality of life, but often my motives for correction can be to love, to, that I love to make myself look better. Or my criticism can be to maybe not look, make me look better, but just make them look worse, which then in turn can make me look a little better than them. 
it's also really easy to see sin in people's lives, how they've turned from God, how they're not doing what we think they should be doing. And it's easy, so it's easy and quick and sometimes just lazy to point that out. Sometimes sin seems really obvious. You think, oh my goodness, anyone else see this? Someone's got to tell them. Sometimes we just want to demonize people because we don't like a group they're connected to or even hurt by them, and so we want to hurt them back. And so our criticism isn't to bring life or quality of life. It is to hurt because we know how that can really hurt. Sometimes we see sins as worse or better, and so we see their sin as a really bad kind of sin, and we got to let people know that. We see not all disobedience as punishable by death, but just some, and they definitely are the ones who are going to die from this sin. I think in a way it's also just fun sometimes for people to talk about others and sin. It's easy to get together and chat about all the things, the specks and the splinters they have um, with others. Sometimes I think it just gives us something to do when we want to be distracted maybe from our own logs or planks in our eyes. So why is why is Jesus say this and how do we do this then? He he wants us first to examine ourselves and pull the pull the sin, right? Examine the sin and he actually even I love in this he says it's a log. So saying and your stuff is even a bigger deal than their stuff. Which I think is true. When I start examining my own sin, Man, and I know what I'm thinking about and what I'm desiring and what I'm worshiping other than Jesus, it, it can it feels like a log. It's it's big often. And so um at hope sometimes we've used this term. Pastor Steve um uses this when we study the book of Romans. He talks about something, and we're gonna use this same phrase. The reason I remember this is because it's not really like a word, a real word. It's sometimes like a not a real word. Make, reminds you of something. So there's kind of four steps that we're going to look at. What does it look like to remove a log? How do we remove a log? And also this works when someone is trying to remove a splinter from you and, and bring correction. This is really, so Steve uses this term. It's called Goopa, right? It sounds like a Nintendo Koopa Troopa Goopa, right? It's Goopa. And I always thought the first time I heard this, I thought, why Goopa? You could you could think of other words, I bet. And, and I remember thinking, we could spell a real word here. Um, no, this actually has stuck with me. And so we're going to talk about Goopa real quick. And what does it look like to remove a log? And what in scripture does it look like for people to remove that log? So then we are in a place, right? We are have really kind of went through <laughs> um, the proper training and assessment and work in our own hearts so that we can, I think, in a very helpful way, bring life and quality of life to people. Because Jesus does say, you do you do go to family and correct them and do pull that splinter out. But what does that look like? And so the first letter in, it's a G, it's gospel. And so the first thing we look at is the gospel. Um, and the gospel um, speaking to us first, we need to first always start with this and remember that we are okay because of Jesus. We are saved because of Jesus. We've been brought to life because of Jesus, not because of our good works. We start thinking we're righteous because of what we did. 
right? And then we start thinking we're better. And then we start being quick to say, oh, we're so good. Let me tell you how to live a good life. And we see this play out in Romans 6. I think we have it right here. First, we hear in Romans 6, For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like this. Do you hear this? Jesus' work in death and resurrection, we're clinging to him, united with him, and we die, go out, and then we also come out alive because of Jesus. For we know that our old self has been crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The gospel tells us that in clinging to Jesus for our rescue, we have been pulled from slavery and sin into God's family. And then it says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. The result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the G in Gupa is remembering we have been united with Jesus and he's the one who's rescued us, that we're okay in him so that we don't become self-righteous, but also to be encouraged that you have life and righteousness and holiness because of this. We got to remember the gospel first and that what Jesus has done for us and also what that makes us, right? It makes us sinners. It reminds us we're sinners and that we become saints in Jesus. Well, the you in Gupa is, of course, utter dependence. What else would it be? Utter dependence. So we move from understanding the gospel first as we're pulling that log out, doing the work we say, utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. First gospel, we remember the gospel. We need to believe the gospel. And then we need to rely on the Holy Spirit, which is great because in Romans 8, we hear all about it. Romans 8 is my place to go to be encouraged in that, okay, I can't do this. I'm trying to muscle this on my own. The Holy Spirit can do a work in you. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, you hear that? The spirit of God that raised a dead person to life is the spirit that's in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit itself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for good for those who love him, who have, made, who have been called according to his purpose. The Spirit that has raised Jesus, that has the power to raise Jesus has the power to defeat sin, even if we're not sure what to do. We remember the gospel and we can pray in that spirit, even without words, that spirit can work in us and empower us to fight this sin, to turn back to Jesus and, uh, and, and fight that sin, to recognize who we are as a saint and a sinner and also empower us to do this work. And so then that brings us to the P. This is where it gets kind of practical. The P is pathway. And so we remember the gospel. I'll go over here. Remember the gospel. We rely on the, the power of the spirit and we set a pathway, which is just a plan. It's a way for us to consider what it practically, what does it look like now for us to move on, to worship ourselves out of sin, to turn it away from Jesus, not just 
set up a way so that you stop doing it. You know, it's not just, hey, stop doing that thing. It's remembering the gospel, relying on the spirit to move in us, and then saying, what are steps that I need to take, practical steps, so that I stop turning away from God in this area of my life, and I turn to Jesus. And that is an act of worship. It makes me think of the halts, H-A-L-T-S, halts, um, for me have been really helpful in thinking practically about what are things that trigger me to turn away from God, to sin. Those are things that make me hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or stressed. Often if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or stressed, or a sweet combo of those, right? It's like a COVID soup. Those things lead me to go, I don't know if Jesus is good. I'm going to turn to something else. And that thing is the beginning of me turning to sin. And so we think, where are those places in my life? Can I avoid some of those? Can I learn to deal in some of those? And so that's the P, right? The gospel, the utter dependence, the pathway. And lastly, we have accountability. Jesus is talking about us being in community here, how we interact. We need people who will say to us, hey, how's that work going? How's the log going? Say to us, hey, there's a little splinter in there. Or just asks us, how's the pathway, right? Is that working out? What's happening when you get hungry? What are you turning to? When you get angry, what are you turning to other than Jesus? This is where we need community. Someone who can ask you how it's happening, bringing sin to light. Not just saying, did you do that thing this week? Good, you didn't. But saying, hey, how have you been worshiping Jesus this week? They want to help us Live and have a quality of life in Jesus. And so, friends, we get the opportunity to, right, to do this goopa uh, with ourselves and help others do that as we pull this log out. Because then we're doing the work that Jesus is talking about here of saying, first, let's get ourselves in a place where our motive is to actually bring life and care. And consider a surgeon how they would care for that. It wouldn't be quick. It wouldn't be a quick grab. Whoop, all right, I'm gone. Now you know that thing was in your eye, right? It wouldn't be a, a, a yell. Can you imagine an eye surgeon is yelling at someone? Get that thing out of your eye. What are you doing? Maybe just berating them with all the reasons how they got it. Why were you hanging out where there were splinters everywhere? You're so silly. It'd be a gentle, careful <laughs> surgery They'd have to take a lot of things into consideration and not harm other things. They'd want to make sure the eye could actually see you when they were done and not just be damaged by a a rough, (laughs) hurtful, quick surgery. Consider even if when we do approach them, we have examined our hearts, pulled out our log, and then we have the opportunity to move and care for people. All right, we're going to keep moving on this passage. Um, I do want to share quickly, just, I'm going to use this picture again. This is double illustration from this picture. Again, it was our family's birthday this week. And I was, I was thinking about that, those first days, weeks, the months that we had our daughters. And it actually made me think of this exact thing because I think often, um, when I first was a parent and my kids would do things, they would say things like, you don't love me, 
right? Because I wouldn't allow them to do something. Or I'd get a gigantic eye roll, which I assume meant you have no idea what you're talking about. Dad, I would say, come on. It was so easy to see the sin in them. And I remember how quickly God used that to show me the log in my own eye. How quickly my kid would say, I don't think you love me. And I would say, how dare you? And how quick the the spirit would tell me, you do the same thing. You turn to God and say, I don't think you love me. This thing will though. And then how quickly I I roll my eyes and say, you don't know what you're talking about, God. Jesus lived a long time ago. Things are different now. How quickly we do the same. How much God, even this Holy Spirit in my life has has even convicted me and helped me pull that log out, realizing that I too was turning from God, helping me confess my sin, my unfaithfulness, seeing myself as broken and seeing myself as loved and safe, and, and how it changed even how I could then approach my daughters. When I come to them saying, I do the same thing. Let's be sinners together who fight for love. Um, and life in our in our families. I think consider that as you're thinking through this. How where have you seen that in your own life? Maybe God has already even moved you to pull logs out. Um, and let's let's lean into that. Let's get to the last verse here as we um, finish up our time here. Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet. They may turn and tear them into pieces. This is a weird. This feels like a quick turn. I thought we were talking about carpentry. Now we're talking about dogs and pigs. It's, it's helpful to understand that this passage is sometimes seen as a separate paragraph. That is if Jesus changed, he's kind of giving like almost proverbs of um, wisdom about different areas of life. Some, some people lump it together. I think it's interesting that he goes through. I don't think he just randomly is saying things. I, this for me does connect. This passage is helpful to understand that dogs and pigs are often the terms used for people outside of God's family. If we look to the Old Testament, there's lots of illustrations of animals, especially pigs. They're seen as unclean and dogs uh, as kind of savage animals, unclean animals that would maybe even live outside the cities and eat garbage. They're often used in, in the Old Testament as a way to illustrate Gentiles or people outside of God's family. So if we compare some of the language used in this, right before this we hear, if you see sawdust in a brother's eye, family's eye, this is what happens. Now be careful of those outside the family. It's, it's a warning for us to, to discern and be aware that there's people who will chew up these sacred and valuable things. This precious gospel, we might... We might bring that to people and they might trample or stomp on it. It could be, it could be a passage to help us discern that. Say, so, you know, there's a point where you bringing the gospel to people, sharing this good news of life and quality of life is actually going to cause them to, to be pretty upset, right? To, to tear it up, to trample on it, to, to post angry things on Facebook about it. I think, I think though it's doing something else too. I think this is, explain to us what the reaction to someone who the gospel is not changing their heart, that what it looks like to be that person when they do receive the news of life and the quality of life. I think it helps us have an expectation 
that when we do share that, if we if we are coming from a right place and we've removed a log, that it might not be received like we hope. We might not be able to say, no, 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 I removed the log. You should you should be welcoming the eye surgery. Right? It might get trampled and torn up. It also shows us what the response of someone who's not clinging to Jesus might respond to. And maybe give us a little conviction about how do we receive correction from brothers and sisters. Are we receiving it as family or receiving it as dogs and pigs ready to tear it up and trample on it? Do we see correction, gospel correction that's given to us for life and quality of life out of a motivation because our family wants us to have life Do we see that as sacred and valuable? Or do we see it as something we tear up and stomp on? That, there's a check of our hearts, right? So as we wrap up our time, consider last week we talked about this framework of the gospel that's in community and on mission. That's that's what we do here at Hope. We do gospel that we're okay in Jesus, that's in community, we do it together as a family, and that family is on a mission, right? To bring life, to bring joy and peace through Jesus. And so consider this aspect of that, that Jesus brings up to us this week. Are we willing to do that by pulling logs out of our eyes, setting aside our judgment, letting God do the judging, and moving towards people to bring life is our question Am I going to help them have life? Am I going to help them have a quality of life that only comes in Jesus? I think we have a great opportunity here. And have that with an expectation that some might not accept that. But also, I think, really examine ourselves of how do we take a family member helping take a speck out. Ultimately, bringing us to bigger, fuller life because we've turned from sin. We're going to take an opportunity to do what Jesus called us to do. This is how um, this is how this works. This isn't a, a one-time thing. When I was in college, I remember this passage very vividly because I was a freshman in college and I had just joined like a campus ministry and I was very new to kind of that kind of Christian community. And very early in that time, a upperclassman came up to me and said, hey, Drew, I need to talk to you. And he sat me down and he said, Drew, um, I'm pulling the log out of my eye. And now here's some things you need to do. And I was like, whoa, where is, okay. I remember him walking away thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Right? As if it was just this moment where he's like, I'm allowed to criticize you as long as I first say and do a motion like I'm pulling a log out of my eye, right? I don't think that's how this works. I think all the time we get to have the gospel impact us. All the time we have the we, we have this utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. All the time we're considering our pathway, our plan to moving away from things that aren't Jesus for our hope. And all the time we get to have accountability and people um, with us. And so we have to think about what that looks like. And Jesus builds this into our lives. He says, let's have communion together. Remember who I am. Because that's a thing. Every time you gather, you get to do that in community. It's an opportunity to keep pulling those logs out so that you can see clearly. And so we're going to do that now together. I encourage you to grab your communion supplies as we wrap up our service together. We like to build to this moment to remember um, this way Jesus uh, gives us this gift. So I got my bread here with me. I got my uh, juice here. I love if you have that. I'd love for you to take 
we're going to take just a minute to consider these things. So there's some questions here to consider, maybe reflect on. We're just going to take a minute or two to stop. Um, remember the gospel. Remember that Jesus died, that his body was broken. His body was broken so that you would not be broken. And his blood was shed so that you would be forgiven, so that you could be right with God. How good is that news? And then just consider these questions here. Do you know you are judged righteous in Jesus? That when you stand before God, he sees Jesus and, and he sees you perfect and right and sinless. That's why we cling to Jesus. Maybe ask the question, who is the easiest for you to judge or criticize and why? What, what makes you that? What sin you know, plank is working in your own life? What log do you need to pull out, right? To use the gupa. And then maybe who do you need to ask forgiveness for a critical spirit with? This is a holiday season where you may inter interact, even that might be on Zoom, with someone who you have been maybe extra critical about. And you get an opportunity to ask forgiveness, which is such a gospel picture, an opportunity to share that life and even quality of life with them as you can do that.